Hello and welcome to another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcasts. I'm James Miller and this week I am joined uh, again by John Walker, Political Editor for Birmingham Live. Absolutely. Yeah, the official name, title these days? Yeah. for the Birmingham Mail. None of this dead tree press for you. And by Stuart M. MacDonald, SMP MP for Glasgow South. Yep. And one of his party's smartest operators I read recently. According to you. Uh, oh yes, it was me that wrote that. <laughs> However, I would just start by suggesting you proved that yet again at Scottish Questions, mm. following Martin Pockety Hughes making his second appearance in two weeks on this podcast being mentioned, because he's so small he fits in your pocket, with his weird convoluted question about Christmas. And David Mundell, I mean it doesn't take much to bamboozle David Mundell I think, but he did just go, I don't understand that, and that was the end of that question. And then you got up and said? Yes. Well... I'm not sure what Martin's question was, but I kind of got... Too clever by half is what it was. There was was definitely a serious point to it, which I'm sure you probably don't want to go into, but I think the substantial thing for the Scottish Secretary to answer uh, this week, today in particular, is around the economic impact of Brexit. So yesterday the Scottish Government produced analysis which uh, suggests it will cost Scots up to £1,600 uh, a, a year uh, will make us poorer by that amount and the Scottish Tory leader, the interim Scottish Tory leader just dismissed that probably without even reading it uh, as, a, as a grievance and the Chancellor confirmed uh, this morning that the withdrawal agreement will indeed make us poorer so I wanted to know who was right the Chancellor or the interim Scottish Tory leader There you go, smart operator, nice, cute straightforward question Didn't get um, an answer mind you No, that's true, oh, yeah you both got the uh, same response basically from uh, Mundell I don't know, uh, <laughs> the long and the short of it Lots of analysis to discuss and it all came up in PMQ so let's start with this That jingle has been around for ages. I, I, you should must, change it. That's come, I must be coming. <laughs> 2015, that must be coming up for its fourth birthday, that jingle. Um, Prime Minister's questions. Yes, lots and lots of Brexit, 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 really, wasn't it? Um, did Let's start with Jeremy Corbyn. Did he have a good week on Brexit, John? Yeah, well, he started off very well. He started off laying into the Prime Minister. She didn't have an answer. Um I mean, his point was that the uh, Treasury forecast showed that Theresa May's deal will leave us not actually poorer. We won't actually be poorer than we are now, but significantly poorer than if we stayed in the EU. This is this was some cute language, wasn't it? Because people kept standing up and saying to the PM, the Chancellor said on the radio this morning, we will be worse off because of Brexit. Mm. And she said, no, we'll be better off because the economy will keep growing, it just won't grow as much as it would have done if we stayed in the EU. Yeah, you can. it's up to you which way you want to see it, but it seems to me we're going to be worse off. I mean, yes. that's a, a fact. However, um, well, first of all, Corbyn did really well for his first sort of two or three questions, and then it all started to fall a bit flat, yeah. which is fairly common with him. Also, behind what he said, a sort of assumption underlying it, or a, a dishonest uh, assumption underlying it, in my view, is the idea that Labour would somehow negotiate a sensible Brexit deal, which is a phrase they use, which would not leave us worse off. There's no such thing as a Brexit deal that will not leave us worse off. Mm. Well, is there not? No, there's not. Every every analysis that's been produced right from the beginning of this what process... What if the deal was exactly the same terms that we've got at the moment? Well, that wouldn't be Brexit then. 
<laughs> that may be the one exception. I mean, well, if we yeah, if we true. agree to stay in, I guess that's kind of a deal. But uh, any any anything that involves leaving the EU will leave us worse off. Uh, okay. Um, I, I tell you, so, so I don't know. Else. I haven't seen David Davis was speaking at Bre- economics for Bre- econom- econo- economists mm. for Brexit this morning. Presumably, they say that we'll be better off out. I don't know what they say, but um, if they do say that, I don't think they're telling the truth. I mean, the the Treasury has made it very clear in every analysis that it's done that there's no way. And it stands to reason, by the way, some people say, oh, nobody voted to make themselves poorer. I think they probably did. I think during the, the referendum campaign, people probably knew that there was going to be an economic shock, that Brexit would damage the economy. It was made very clear to people. They voted anyway. But what is dishonest in my view is any suggestion that there's somehow a, a magic Brexit deal that won't cause this uh, damage the to the economy economy versus identity argument mm. which I, God, I go over and over again um, an argument I had with uh, Sir John Curtis in the summer um, he knows lots of things and I know nothing but you know uh, so I should probably listen to him um, do you like Brexit Stuart? No uh, it's uh, you know as well as uh, uh, self-inflicted damage that it brings it's an enormous distraction to lots of other domestic and international items that really should be uh, taking up uh, the minds of members of parliament and and the government Uh, I I, I voted against having the EU referendum in the first place I was elected on a manifesto against having an EU referendum I didn't see the need for one I did not vote to trigger article 50 I voted against triggering article 50 I won't vote for the deal that's in front of us at the minute. Uh, so no, I see no, I see no upside to this uh, at all. Contrary to what David Davis used to say uh, mm. when he said that there were no downsides, only considerable upsides. I think it's the other way around. I mean, it's not an issue that affects either of you because you uh, sort of represent, as it were, landlocked areas. But fisheries mm. keeps coming up over and over again. Right? Let's be honest. Scottish fishery, this whole business, is the most impressive PR operation ever done. They got ahead of the game. They've hired top quality PR people to somehow portray them as these poor little men in kilts and their little sailing boats going out to collect the fish. And then a big Spanish man is going to come and knock them over. That's utter cobblers, isn't it? They are moneyed. They've got like about six boats between them and they catch all the fish in the sea. It's, a, it's bizarre the way it dominates this discussion, isn't it? Well, I mean, look, it is an important sector of that, there's no doubt. It was once put to me by my former colleague, Ailey Whiteford, uh, you know, the way that kind of shipbuilding is important to Glasgow uh, and Clyde constituencies, fishing is important to the North East. So I I get it. Uh, All of that being said, uh, as we know from uh, investigative journalism done by folk like Torquil Crichton, for example, uh, that it's, I think it's about five or six families who control the majority of the stake of fishing in Scotland. I'm not sure what it's like elsewhere in in the UK, but there's, I mean, you say they've got the best PR people. I'm not entirely sure about that. Um, but I think certainly it's I think it's the fish that will prove to be the undoing of the Scottish Tories. They've promised too much. Uh, they're going to have to break that promise. It's already breaking in front of us. Uh, it's a stupid thing for them all to hang their hook on uh, in the first place. I mm. think there's a view at Westminster that fishing is an industry that could um, swing elections in key 
in marginal seats. Well, we know whereas, that from the last election, yeah. Well, whereas, for example, the car industry, which is also affected by Brexit, is um, something that mainly affects sort of safe labour seats. And that's one of the reasons why we hear so much about fishing and perhaps a bit less about other industries. And because, come on, they've got a great lobbying operation, haven't they? I mean, I think, Matt, I, I take what you're saying, but none of that would be true if they didn't have a significant lobby or lobbying operation making the case for fisheries at Westminster all the time. We wouldn't know about it. It's not like anybody would sit and go, oh, what about the fishermen? Unless they were in politicians' faces going, I think save us an and our fortunes. I mean, I mean the, the, a Scottish Tory put it to me a couple of weeks ago that, you know, that certainly in Scotland they felt as though they've never recovered from Ted Heath's sellout. Yes. Uh, yes. And now they've finally managed to win them back. They don't want to have to lose them again. Well, that's uh, understandable, especially let's given the... see how that plays out. Given they've the arithmetic, certainly sold yeah. them out. Um, well, we don't know yet, do we? I mean, that's it's the, the common line. fisheries policy in all but name. Yeah, I mean, but come on, any the dogs what, in the street the, know that. The fish in the sea know that. But for the for the transition period, and then we don't know what's going to come after that. Well, you know, there was a Tory MP, Douglas Ross, asking the Prime Minister about yes. it today. Really, you should ask Emmanuel Macron about it. Oh, I'd love to have Emmanuel Macron on this podcast. Uh, well, that'd be amazing. What a great man he is. You should reach for the stars. Well, I tell you what, uh, we'll come back to him because we're going to talk about fascists in Italy later. Uh, and he hates the fascists in Italy, doesn't he? He's a great man. Let's just mention uh, your dear leader, Ian Blackford. Yes. For now, until you decide to actually launch your leadership bids. Um, that won't be happening. Depose him. That's exciting. Yeah. Not, only, not only will that not happen, yeah. but as you well know, uh, I was well behind his leadership bid uh, before it got off the ground. Well, uh, sometime in the future. Sometime in the future, no, I, be, I, I remain convinced. I would convinced. rather unpick my toenails with... Ah. Blunt spoons is ah. what I'd rather do. Ooh, we've got that on. I, I don't believe it. I still think you and Paul Sweeney will be leading your prospective par- respective parties somewhere speak down for the him, road. But certainly not me. Um, Ian Blackford, though, had a good week, I would say. Uh, it wasn't too. Uh, what's the words? Windbagging, is, he sometimes could be accused of. No, um, I, 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 and he was nice and pithy this week. I, I don't. I don't. I, I wouldn't use that description uh, myself. It's a, look, it's a tough gig. Uh, to do, and I think when most of the house is kind of switched off by Jeremy Corbyn's third or fourth question, yes. uh, it's difficult to get the the, the right uh, atmosphere back after that. But I think he did have a good week. He 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 got to the to the nub of the the point, which is this is going to leave not just Scotland but the UK worse off. The government now admits it's going to make us worse off, and yet it is still intent on pursuing it. I can't think of a government in British or global history uh, that has admitted a policy will make us worse off and pursue it with such vigour that the Prime Minister is appearing to do. What you're saying is the point that you made uh, about half an hour earlier in Scottish questions, he just copied. I mean, that's really what you're saying. I here, never said it? that. That's what you said. That, <laughs> no, you but, both went on the same point. But it's the most, but you got there first. But it's the most obvious it's the most obvious point to make. Uh, yes. is, uh, it's it's the folly of Brexit in a nutshell. Um, and we also learned about the Prime Minister's shopping list, which has more than six items on it. Yeah, I what's mean... On, what's on the Prime Minister's shopping list? Well, she's uh, going around the country shopping for support at the moment. She's, oh, um... <laughs> nice one. Do you know if she puts that on her shopping list? She... Milk, eggs, support. Please, uh, well, milk, eggs, and please support me. I mean, um, she doesn't have much support. Away. She actually listed the people who were backing her. I can't remember exactly who she said. Well, she I said think Scottish was, fishermen got she mentioned. Said, yeah. Welsh, Welsh Scottish farmers. fishermen, Welsh farmers. She didn't mention MPs. No. Um, and uh, it looks very much as if she's uh, in a lot of trouble over this uh, meaningful vote when it comes. I think 
also it's going to be interesting to see what Labour does. I think there's some difficulties there for Jeremy Corbyn, not, not as much as for Theresa May, because if the vote falls, and then if there is no general election, Labour's policy is that a people's vote is on the table. At some point, surely, he's going to have to make a decision, either to come out for a people's vote, or or not to do so and stop sitting on the fence. Yeah, it's a long way down the road, though, isn't it? It's a long well, way down the road. Well, let's it's, go. A, it's two weeks away. That, well, all right, yeah. let's go. Let's go for it then. On that first hurdle, uh, for the records, let's go, with Stuart. First, is the agreement gonna pass? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, she seems to be confident she can get it passed, which makes me think she may have something up her sleeve. I can't for the life of me work out what it is, but the numbers are stacked against her in you know quite large quantities. John, is he gonna get through? It, it, I don't know. It, well, it's, that's not a good enough answer, I'm afraid. <laughs> it seems unlikely. From call everything, it. everything that we know, I, I'm going to call it yes. What well, on the basis that Stuart just said? They're so confident. I'm inclined to agree with you. You don't think <laughs> they're either completely insane or they've got some amazing on the, secret on the, plan. on the basis that if you ask anybody what exactly is going to happen instead, nobody, nobody can answer that. Well, I think you could re phrase the question will it pass the first time yeah well that is the follow-up because there's yeah. talk about there being a second vote mm. a week later before we stop for christmas uh, if if the defeat comes in at fewer than 100 yeah i mean i said last week that feels a bit it's just a bit of a trendy theory in westminster i think i'm not it sure it's well based be, in yeah. any more reality than i'm not sure it's trendy but I well just in terms of the gallery or all, yeah, the press gallery yeah. all sort of going well this is what's going to happen and it catches on and people start thinking well this is what's going to happen yeah I think I, just as likely she resigns overnight that. and there's somebody else the next day or just as likely she won't it gets resign. through first I time i mean i don't resign. really know i don't think she'll resign until she's she won't resign before brexit day next year and then she's forced out i think she really feels that she's a duty to carry this through i mean the first phase the may's deal will probably fall if there is a a serious attempt to force a general election which i guess means emotional no confidence in the government probably that will fall i'm i'm certain that emotion on a a people's vote will fall and it will have no legal effect even if it Mm. comes into force so then what does the government do, apart from go back to, to Parliament? Maybe they could tweak the deal a little bit, I don't know, and claim they've made some won some big victory. But what are they going to do except for go back to Parliament and try again? Um, are you ready to roll February election? Strong and stable, eh? Are you ready, ready for that? Uh, I'd be up for a February election. A, uh, I, I mean, I don't think... I, I mean, I, I think there there's a, a chance there'll be an early election in the first six months of next year. I don't think it'll be February. Uh, I can't see it being this side of, of Brexit Day. I don't know. I Maybe just... around about the same time as we had last year's. But but you know what? What's the point trying to predict well, this in this thing. place at the moment? There was a video, one of the, the wiser Tory heads said to me months ago, February election. Mm. Um, not one of the headbangers. And I sort of went, what? How do you get there? But as things keep getting tighter and closer and you start going, actually, it's looking more and more Possible, if yeah. not probable. Um, let's talk about... Uh, I was going to talk about Vince Cable, but let's not bother. I'm going to write a column about Vince Cable. How rubbish he is, isn't he? Isn't it a bit of, sad? Lots of folk will read that, I'm sure. Isn't it a bit sad, poor old Vince Cable? You know, from Stalin to Mr Bean. And now he has been reduced from wherever he was. You know, speaking Cassandra of to Nosferatu. Have, have you noticed there's a, a sort of mini-revival of the SDP? Apparently, but they're all racist now. Well, they're, they're so anti- they're not like the SDP at all. Yeah, I mean that seems bizarre. Um, I find that very weird. Given for, they, a former they... 
UKIP MEP, well, he still is an MEP, a former UKIP MEP called Patrick O'Flynn. <laughs> I can't uh, help but laugh at him because... Former he, journalist. Who you uh, by all accounts, uh, from his Twitter feed, seems to be a bit thick. Uh, well, he used to be political editor of the Daily Express. Um, Again, more evidence for the for the uh, prosecution there, I suggest. He's, he's joined a sort of continuity SDP, which is but, what remains of the SDP that merged with the Liberals. But the SDP the- split from Labour because they were pro-Europe and Labour was anti-Europe at the time, right? And also because Labour was a bit too left-wing. Yeah, the time, but yeah. Europe was a big part of the split. Yeah. Uh, it was. Yes. And now they've gone the other way. It's just some weird racists in racist clothing, I'd suggest. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's it. They're all. I, I, I disassociate myself from that libelous remark. Um, you've both been abroad in recent times uh, and you both wish to talk about your adventures abroad. Um, let's start with Stuart because I that was watching. That sounds like a holiday. <laughs> well, let's, well, let's get it. For, for John, it was. But. Um, I was watching Inside the Foreign Office last night. Oh, yes. Uh, where uh, they go to Ukraine and yes. meet the uh, lesbian ambassador who says... The British ambassador. It's not just that I'm a gay ambassador. Oh, it was, it's, it's such an advert for the Foreign Office, that programme. Mm. They had a, a young woman with a, a South East London accent going, oh, cool, blimey, I wouldn't believe I'd be in the Foreign Office. And then we had a gay ambassador. And then we had... What did we have at the end? Uh, oh, the man that played Wonderwall, and he's now ambassador to Rangoon, and it was very much, look at the Foreign Office, we're we are really diverse and interesting. But uh, Ukraine came up in it, and Ukraine seems to be a bad place. Uh, no, I wouldn't call it a bad place at all. It's a, a, it's a great place that's gone through some extraordinarily... Uh, Tough times has been since, uh, well, has been for quite some time actually, uh, but particularly over the last since the Russians uh, four invaded years, yeah, since two thousand and fourteen, um, and how events play out over the next uh, few weeks and months uh, will be interesting. And again, this is one of the the points I make uh, from earlier when I said there's a whole host of stuff happening domestically and around the world that deserves our attention certainly more attention than it's getting right now um, and unfortunately it's not getting a lot of attention what were you doing out there and what capacity were you there so i was back there uh, i was there with what's called the westminster foundation for democracy oh, yeah. at the nato ukraine platform conference discussing uh, hybrid war in particular i was there to speak on a panel discussing misinformation war? and fake news. Uh, I think we might need a whole new podcast on okay. what is hybrid war. All right. Uh, but essentially, it's what Ukraine has been going through for the last four it's years. It's like war and not war at the same time. Yeah, it's where they've been facing uh, hybrid and kinetic threats, non-traditional uh, kind of actors involved. The little green men, for example, who turned yes. up in Crimea, the Russian-led uh, forces in the east okay. of Ukraine, all that kind of stuff. So I was back there just in uh, the capital city in Kiev for uh, three days. But when I was there earlier in the year, in May of this year, with a, a couple of other colleagues, we'd gone to eastern Ukraine. We got about two miles from the yeah. contact line at the Donbass, which is where Gavin Williamson went to uh, just after the summer oh, yeah. as well. Told them all to bog off or whatever it is. Was it shut up and go away? Do you think he shouted that, was, that across the lines? That was, a bit, that was a bit before that he did that. But, uh, but yeah, so, I, I mean... Look, look at what we're going into. We're going into the Christmas period where everyone's focused on that. Yeah. There are big Brexit problems here. France has got its own problems. Italy has its own problems. Goodness, America has its own problems. 
Putin hasn't had a better environment yeah. internationally in which to do the stuff that he's doing. And I think it's important that we don't take our eye off the ball he's, or off the uh, ball. Uh, he's a very naughty man, isn't he? He's a bad That's man. one way to put it, yeah. Uh, Gavin Williamson really should have got up to the front line and shouted, shut up and go I'm, away, shouldn't he? And put I'm it on social sure. media. That would be sure. amazing. I'm not sure that would have been wise. One thing he could do is we're sending HMS Echo to the Black Sea next year. What's uh, that? HMS Echo is a very lightly armed um, surveillance ship. Yeah. Uh, I think given what happened uh, in those seas at the weekend, he should yes. be looking to send... Uh, a ship that can defend itself if it gets into uh, any bother. Ooh, uh, that's certainly one change you could make to the support we've offered Ukraine, which is not insubstantial support, uh, as it happens. Yes, this is the Russians seizing Ukrainian ships and blocking yes. up access to their waters and things like that. Just generally being <sighs> really annoying. Breaking they? the law. Yeah, they should yeah. just shut up and go away, shouldn't they? He's right, they should shut up and go away. Um, what would you tell Putin if you met him? Would you tell him to shut up and go away? No, I think what ultimately what's wanted is for Russia to withdraw from Ukraine, uh, the East Crimea, and respect the 2003 treaty as far as the Azov Sea goes. It's not as pithy as shut up and go away, though, is it? It's not, but I mean, ultimately that's what that's what the Ukrainians want. Um, John, you've been abroad as well. Did you wear a flat? Did you wear a flat jacket in Ukraine? Uh, we had to wear a bulletproof vest yeah. when we were there, when we were in the East, uh, but not in Kiev. I mean, no. it's just a regular capital city um you weren't wearing a flat jacket don no even though you were in the heart of fascist europe uh, i didn't see any fascists when i was there i went to italy yeah. and uh, had a fantastic time on a high-speed train basically um two companies high bombardier and hitachi are bidding for the contract to build high-speed trains for the uk this is a contract worth 2.75 billion pounds blimey and uh, as a bit of a pr junkie shut up 2.75 billion just to go between london and birmingham no that's just to build the trains that's the trains. yeah and that's what they're they're only going to go between london and birmingham uh this is for phase one of hs2 so yes that's basically and there will probably be more trains for phase two when it adds in leeds manchester chris greeling to do it was something to do with this i mean that doesn't sound like value for money uh, well, apparently it is. What can I say? All the uh, trains. I, mean, I don't know how much trains, trains cost. Yeah, I think trains are pretty expensive uh, when you replace trains on conventional track too. To be honest, seems an outrage. Well, was it an amazing train made of gold then for that money? Uh, it was uh, very much like being on any other train, except a bit faster. I hope um, you didn't say that after they flew you out on this junket. Oh, you can just go. Oh, this is all right. Well, that's Same all with I any other say. train. No, no, it was very comfortable. It's quite impressive, but um, you wouldn't have. Knowing that you weren't on uh, a different type of train, if I hadn't told you. Did you get nice free Italian food and wine? Uh, yes. That's, that was like the, the fatal pause <laughs> that Theresa May had when she answered Ian Blackwood's question at PMQs when he said, aren't we going to be better off? And she went, no, no, no. Basically, these two firms are hoping a bit of publicity will help them win the contract. I don't think it will. I don't understand how See. the government or HS2 Limited, which is going to choose a company to build the trains, would care less if they get a bit of publicity but um, it was interesting to see high-speed train in action and the train i was on is um going to be similar to whatever we end up getting here in the uk um this is the glamorous life of a journalist really isn't it junkets to italy uh you know swanning around parliament what life you lead this slightly sounds ideal slightly less glamorous than you you make it out but uh sounds like a sounds like a winner mm. um you worried about the fascists in Italy and your, and your sort of um, foreign think, policy concerns? I think there's uh, everybody should be worried about the rise of fascism in Italy, Hungary, yes, America, the UK, France, uh, Germany, 
all over the place. Nationalists, isn't it? Nationalists. Hard right wing <laughs> ethnic nationalists. Ah, yes. okay. I see. As opposed to civic nationalists. Well, yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I just you know well, I don't know how many different sorts of nationalists there are. We might again need another podcast on this, uh, if, if but I'd be if, happy to teach you. If we're going to te- te- tease the, uh, tease your guest, James, which obviously I don't agree with, but um, as if, but he's one of the smartest operators in the SNC. You know, I can't outsmart him. How how would an independent Scotland be in any position to help defend Ukraine? Well, for example, uh, the United Kingdom is a signatory to the Budapest Memorandum. The Budapest Memorandum was brought around because Ukraine, as an independent country from the Soviet Union, had some of the Soviet Union's nuclear uh, arsenal. Now, as a party that believes not just in independence, but in getting rid of nuclear weapons, it's vital vital, vital that we do support the Budapest Memorandum. And we do support the signatories to the Budapest Memorandum. Now, the UK is a signatory to the Budapest Memorandum. Now, am I suggesting that uh, we are going to send out a a Type 45 frigate to the Black Sea or to the Sea of Azov? No, I'm not. However, we would be a member of NATO. We would absolutely be there supporting Ukraine in terms of its hybrid warfare, because that will absolutely be an, an issue for Scotland as well, as it is for all small uh, European countries and would be able to do that in the same way that the Baltic states do, that the Nordic states do uh, and would be no different in that respect. But at the moment you're suggesting that the United Kingdom should send an armed ship. I'm not going to try to, to name Although it. Ship, is send, it is sending one. It's agreed to do uh, that already. Uh, yeah, yeah um, a ship without much in the way of weaponry. Yeah. You're, you're suggesting you're, you're supporting that and suggesting we should also consider sending a more heavily armed ship out. But an independent Scotland wouldn't have the the money or the manpower resources to do that and also the, rem- the remainder because you'd, you'd be a small you've got a population of about i think about 10 million people that five, the question. Million five million tell us what you know about you can't five million population, right i mean bring me someone serious next time James, <laughs> oh, a, you, blew a, it. you blew it there john a country with a population of five million people is not a major military power and neither the remainder uk remainder uk would be less capable in those circumstances. Do, I mean, I, or, or are you telling me that an independent Scotland would be able to send a warship to the Ukraine? It could absolutely take that decision. Of course it could. It, it, would, be, it would have the military capacity to do that. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. There you go. Especially you should go back and read the white paper. And as for your point yeah. about only being a small country, go to the Baltic states and tell them that. Go to Norway and tell them that. They are perfectly able to come to well, the defence of Ukraine. No, they absolutely are. I suspect they you're, I suspect you don't know that much about what it is these small countries do for Ukraine in terms of the physical threats that they face, both kinetic threats and hybrid threats. But the idea Scotland couldn't be part of that is utterly false, proven by the fact that it's mostly small European countries who are in NATO and or the European small Union European who come to their defence already. to project force abroad. The UK can to some extent, France can to some extent. Yep. Even we need to have the support of the US to do whatever we do. Who was the first country to come out in support of Ukraine at the weekend? Well, in terms of physi- they were, physically they were sending the, they were, they were the Baltic, to the They were the Baltic states who first came out in support of them. And... How many, how, many, how, many, how many warships do the Baltic states have out there? I don't know how many warships they've got, but what I do know is, is that there's an enhanced forward presence over in the Baltic states as part of NATO 
you're right to say that we are part of that, the UK is part of that, France is part of that, but it's also made up of other small independent countries as well. I really don't know why you just dismiss uh, the idea that Scotland could be part of that just because of its size, not quite 10 million, as you suggested, by the way. But this idea that Scotland as an independent country couldn't be a serious security actor with its neighbours or, or in other places around the world well, I say is not I say borne this. out by the fact that most of the security actors in Europe are small independent countries. That's simply not true. It's small independent countries in Europe are not able to send warships to the Ukraine. Which one is not able to do it? Well, not mm. able, not not doing it, but not able to do it. Which one? Well, sorry, the, the Switzerland. If you, if it can't, the idea that a country could potentially, if they're not doing it, then they're not able to do it. No, no, no. That those, those are two different things. No, which, they're, 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 which, they're really not. Which, which really country? Not. Which a country? country? A country that, that theoretically has the capacity to do something but doesn't do it. In fact, is not able to do it. I mean, it's not as if they're less... But the UK doesn't do lots of things that it's able to do. So that's just not true. Tell me a country, a small European country, that's just not able to do it. I admit that it's not as uh, grand as the UK government sometimes thinks it is. But the idea that, that a small independent country like Scotland couldn't be a reliable security partner for a country like Ukraine is not borne out by the fact that most of its reliable security partners are other small independent countries, particularly those around about that part of Europe. There we go. I don't think you're going to agree, I spent are you? loads of time with them at the conference just three weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. Specialism is always a Scottish nationalist's uh, well, defence thing. Was they going to specialise and help in that? Well, like, just bring uh, me someone who, who knows what they're talking about next time. <laughs> you know? I don't think that's much to ask. Um, we've had a war over Ukraine in this room. That's somehow, a war over somehow, somehow <laughs> strangely appropriate. Um, if you want to get involved and think Scotland can defend Ukraine or can't, uh, like militarily, not talking about football, uh, get in touch. I am at Political Yeti on Twitter or I am Political Yeti at gmail.com on the email. And I will uh, finish this uh, lengthier than expected because we had a massive rammy there uh, by saying thank you to Stuart. Thank you. And thank you to John. Thank you. Uh, come back next week for another of Political Yeti's politics podcasts. Thank you. <laughs>